Okay, good morning, everyone. If you can, take your seats. I know it's Memorial Day weekend, so it is nice to see all of your faces here today. And just as a bit of a reflection to look back, last week we had Andy sharing a bit of a pastoral encouragement to us, and we prayed for and commissioned him and their family onto sabbatical during the summer, which was a very special moment for us as a church. And just a reminder, next Sunday we won't be meeting in this space. But the Sunday after, the 11th of June, we're going to be starting a new series through the book of Psalms. We're going to be in a series really looking at prayer in the Psalms. And I think for us as a church, almost this carries on so beautifully from our series on the Holy Spirit, growing in dependence on God, growing in prayer and communicating with God, and just seeing through the prayer and hymn book of the Bible, the book of the Psalms, how to pray. Uh, how to approach God, how to speak to Him, and how the people, uh, the people of God over generations have done that in the history of the church. So I'm looking forward to that. Like I said, we're going to have some friends in from the other restored churches to teach in that series, some people from this church teaching in that series, and it's going to be really encouraging to us during the summer. But today we're finishing up our series in the Holy Spirit. And we spent the last eight weeks looking at who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does and how we respond to the Spirit and really what He is wanting to do in us individually and as a church. And this morning, I'm going to end off with a bit of a how-to sermon to help us to live life in the Spirit every day. And in Galatians chapter 5, we read this amazing thing. It's one of the passages Andy preached on when he spoke on the fruit of the Spirit. And it is this a passage which gives us a vision of what life in the Spirit looks like. And Paul the Apostle, who is an incredibly intelligent, academic, intellectual, well-studied um, man who God used by His Spirit to write so much of our New Testament, this intellectual writes us something about what life in the Spirit looks like, and he describes it with these words. He speaks about us walking by the Spirit in Galatians 5.16 carrying out the desires of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, doing the works of the Spirit, and bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And then in verse 25, living by the Spirit and keeping in step with or walking by the Spirit. All of these different pictures of what life in the Spirit looks like. And what we've been trying to do in the series week in and week out is to invite you into that. This picture of life in the Spirit, of knowing Him, of depending on Him, of being intimate with the Spirit, not just on Sundays, but in all of life. And as we end off today, that would be kind of the, the landing point for us, that we would leave here to live by the Spirit and do life in the Spirit. And that's so key because the Christian life is marked by dependence on the Spirit. Not independence, not doing things our own way and our own strength and our own timeline, all of that. No, no dependence on the Spirit for everything that we do. You see, the Holy Spirit isn't this optional add-on or extra that we can add to our lives, like Christianity 201 or 301 for the really devoted people, you know, the, the advanced Christians in the room. That's not it at all. In fact, what we've been speaking about is the normal Christian life, what all of us are invited into. Life in the Spirit is not just for the advanced Christians in the room. It's for all of us, and it's necessary for all of us to truly follow Jesus. We, we need the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, our example, our Savior, our Lord, our teacher, our King, Jesus is the one who sets us this example to follow. Jesus was filled by the Spirit. 
Jesus was empowered by the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit. Jesus was the one who shows us how to live our lives, and He did all of these things. So as we follow Him as His disciples, actually, we want to do what He did. We want to depend on the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, be empowered by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and trust the Spirit for His help in all of life. Not just the spiritual things, not just some things, not just the hard things, but in all of life that we would be seeking to learn and grow and doing life in the Spirit more and more and more. So this morning, I really want to answer the question, how? How do we do that? How do we leave here and live life in the Spirit, not just in these pockets, these Christian moments throughout the calendar, but all of the time, all of life? And I want to say this, I love what Ruth said as the introduction to worship today, where she said, for some of us, the Spirit can feel a little bit like, woo, did I do it okay? A little bit woo, or something like that. And this can be this out there thing, especially for those of us who grew up in Christian backgrounds where the Spirit wasn't talked about, or was frowned upon, or was spoken about in slightly negative tones. We can sometimes think, well, I don't know where I am with this, but if you are a Christian in this room today, I want you to know that you already have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, it says this, Do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God? Whether you feel like it or not in the room today, if you are a Christian here, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Let's just slow that down just to think about that a little bit more. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6 and says, Don't you know that your body is present tense currently? not future tense, not potentially down the line if you do these things. He's saying currently, if you are a Christian, you are uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit. That is what your body is. That's your identity. Currently, presently, right now, a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Again, this is present tense, not future. The Spirit is in you. That's where He lives. This is not a potential thing. This is a reality right now. The Spirit is in you, whether you feel like you're doing well with God or not, whether you've had a good week with God or not. The Spirit lives in you. You are the temple of the Spirit, and you have Him from God. This is not like a can thing. This is a do. It's not that you can have the Holy Spirit. It's that you do have the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian. So we just want to settle that up front as we finish this message today. The Spirit is inside of you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit if you are a Christian. You can have more of Him. You can experience Him in different ways. But He currently lives in you if you are a follower of Jesus in this room. All Christians everywhere always have the Spirit inside of them. He is God with us right now and when we leave here and when we go to work and when we feel strong in our faith and when we feel weak in our faith. But the question I think I want to ask today is, in your life, is the Spirit who is present inside of you dormant, ignored, sidelined, or are you actively engaging with the Spirit? Are you seeking Him? Are you responding to Him? Are you aware of Him? Or is He kind of just sidelined in your life, living somewhere inside of you, but someone you're not too aware of? I was thinking of a roommate. Some of you maybe have got busy lives and you have a roommate or you had a roommate in the past who you just never saw. 
It was kind of like you knew they lived there. You saw evidence of them. You know, sometimes there was a cup in the sink or no toilet paper or no, they finished the milk and they didn't replace it or whatever it is. There was evidence of this roommate, evidence that they lived in the same home as you, but you never saw them. And for some Christians, it's the same with the Holy Spirit. We, we sometimes feel him in some way or, or maybe hear his voice distantly or, or hear other people speaking about the way the Spirit's working in their life. But actually, we're busy and distracted and we never stop or slow down and make plans to be with him. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 talks about us fellowshipping with the Spirit, slowing down to be with him and speak to him and enjoy him. Not just have him inside of us, but be aware of him and responsive to him. We need the Holy Spirit to be the people of God, to follow God, to do what he's calling us to do. We, we need the Spirit. We can't do this on our own or in our own strength. One of the things we've said in the series a few times is that Jesus made a promise, which still seems wild to me, that it was better for him to leave and that he would send the Spirit in his place for us, the church. And I'm still wrestling with that. I believe it because Jesus said it. But it is hard to imagine having the Spirit with us now is better than having Jesus in the room. But Jesus says that it's true. And right now what we believe is that the Spirit of Jesus is continuing the work of Jesus through us, the people of Jesus, for His purpose. That's what we believe. So this morning what we're going to be doing, at looking at how to live life in the Spirit, we're going to be in a passage in Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 21. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. It'll come up on the screen. And we're going to look a little bit more at what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit and do life in the Spirit. So let's read this passage together. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, to how you live your life. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, and giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. This passage is in the book of Ephesians, which is a short letter that Paul the Apostle wrote to the church in Ephesus. It's six chapters long, and it's really two parts, part one and part two. And in part one, what Paul does is he tries to lay out this theology of what it means to be in Christ, what it means that you are a Christian, that you have been saved by Jesus. And he just talks for about three chapters about all that Jesus has done for us without asking us to do anything without any call to respond, just lays down this theology about what Jesus has done for us. And if you were to go and read Ephesians 1 later this afternoon, you would see all of these things that are said that are true of us in Christ, that you were adopted as God's son or daughter, that you were saved, that you were forgiven, that you were redeemed, that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, that you were blessed in Him, that you were a saint or a holy one of God. All of these things that are true of you, despite whether you're living a good Christian life or not, it's who you are in Christ. It's this incredible download of theology about what Jesus has done for us, the good news that we believe as Christians. And if you're anything like me, you need to be reminded of that regularly. This is not hearing it once and you're good to move on. This is week in and week out, day in and day out, 
hour in and hour out, being reminded of who I am in Christ and what he's done for me because I so quickly move on to other things. And it famously says in Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. And there's this foundation of what Jesus has done for us the grace he's given to us, the gift of God, of salvation that is through Jesus and in Jesus, that all of us who have responded to Jesus live in. And it's this gift that we don't need to bring anything to. In fact, as I often try to bring things to God to make myself righteous or make him happy with me or to serve him in a way that pleases him, I don't bring anything good to the equation. You know, I don't add anything good. Jesus has done far better than anything I could try and do to make God pleased with me. He's done it perfectly in every way. He's paid the ultimate price. And I want to say, if you want a relationship with God today and you don't feel like you have one, this is the offer that comes up in Ephesians 2. It's an offer that through Jesus and what he has done, our sins can be forgiven. Our past can be washed clean. We can have a new life that the Spirit brings to bear inside of us through what Jesus has done. Before, the Bible says we were dead in our sins, but now we are made new in Him. The Spirit regenerates us and makes us new and gives us a new life. And if right now you came in today knowing I'm not a Christian, but you feel drawn, I I want a new life. I want the new life with God that this guy is speaking about today. The Spirit is able to do that in you. That's what He does. And Paul lays these foundations of grace in the first few chapters of Ephesians, wanting us to know all that Jesus has done for us. And then he starts to lay out the way we respond to what Jesus has done. Not to earn anything, but because of what he's done, this free, generous gift, we respond to it. And in Ephesians 4, he talks about what we put on and what we take off. And between what Jesus has done and what we do, there's this amazing section where we see this gospel-centered life that is empowered by the Spirit. And then it speaks about how that looks in marriage and in family and at work and in life and in the church. And even it ends talking about spiritual warfare, the reality that we live in this spiritual battle. And Ephesians 1 talks about us standing in Christ, and Ephesians 6 ends with us standing in Christ against the enemies of our soul. And all of this is going on, but in the middle, Paul speaks about us being filled with the Spirit. The way that we translate what Jesus has done into the life that we live is by the empowering of the Spirit. We have a gospel-centered, Spirit-filled life that flows into every aspect of who we are and what we do. And he has these seven do's and don'ts that kind of transition us from what Jesus has done to what we do in response. Now, I just want to say, like, think about this for a second. I love the way Adam asked us to reflect earlier. If someone said to you, okay, Grant, what do I do in light of the fact that I've become a Christian? I don't know what you would say, but Paul has seven do's and don'ts here that I think are really interesting as he shows us how to live life in the Spirit. Would this match your list? Firstly, do look carefully how you walk. Pay attention to the way you live your life. Secondly, don't be unwise, but be wise. Thirdly, do make the best use of time. And in our pre-meeting beforehand, I think this is one of the things that someone brought up, how challenging this is. I'm not going to ask anyone to share, but think about the things you did this week that were a waste of your time, your precious time. 
the things that you spent time on which you regret instantly. You know, that, that was fun in the moment, but that was not a good use of my time. Do make the best use of the time. Fourthly, don't be foolish. Fifthly, do understand the will of the Lord. Sixth, don't get drunk. And seven, do be filled with the Spirit. Quite an interesting list. And the key idea here at the center of this list is this idea of what it is to be filled by the Spirit. Ephesians 5 verse 18 says this, Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. And again, I'm getting a little technical here, but we've got a negative command and a positive command here. We'll start with the negative. Don't get drunk with wine. Now, I come from South Africa, which had a pretty serious binge drinking culture. I have friends who I remember were getting drunk from 12, like just on the weekends, go to a party. That seems wild to me. I mean, this was years ago as well. This is like 15 years ago. I can't believe, or 25 years ago. <gasps> Moment of reality. Some of you are like, you're not that young. Yeah. Um, from the age of 12, just that was what was going on, this binge drinking culture. And Paul is speaking to us here. And he's showing us that drunkenness and the way of Jesus don't go together because of what they lead to. Jesus isn't anti-drinking. John chapter 2, the first miracle Jesus does, he turns water into wine at a wedding so people can celebrate. It's symbolic of the new wine that he was to bring through his life. But Jesus enjoyed wine. I love a good glass of wine. Jesus is not anti-drinking, but he is anti-drunkenness here. And some of you might be sitting there going, fair enough, but why is this part of this conversation on being filled with the Spirit. Why are you emphasizing this this morning? Well, the first time I got drunk was when I was 17. So clearly in my culture, I was a late bloomer. But I remember um, just making a decision one night. I was like, I'm going to do it. Tonight, I'm going to get drunk for the first time, and it's, I'm going big. And I did, quickly and fast. I think 7 o'clock, I got to the party. I won't even tell you what I did, but probably by 8, 8.30, I was in bed. And that hour and a half, I made the most of in a big way. I was throwing up in my friend's garden. I was saying and doing things I normally wouldn't do. I woke up with bruises and scratches from just falling all over the place. I hit it hard, you guys. And the next morning, I bore the consequences for my decisions. It was not a good night at all. But if someone had watched me that night, and sadly, my friend's mom did watch me, and I had to apologize to her the next day, they would have said I was under the influence. It's something we say so often about drunkenness. You're under the influence. You're acting differently because of what you've been drinking. And that's what Paul wants to get at with this idea of the Christian life, that we shouldn't be under the influence of other things. We should be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And yes, that does mean not getting drunk with wine, not coming under the influence of alcohol. It's not less than that, but it's also much more than that. Don't get drunk with wine because of what that leads to. But also, don't come under the influence of the love of money that shapes and influences and forms the kind of people that we come and the kind of decisions that we make. Don't be under the influence of the love of money. Don't come under the influence of success and failure. I thought of a quote that I love. Tim Keller died a few days ago. I'm sure many of you have heard about that. But he said, well, Parker clearly hasn't, but oh, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. But Keller had this incredible quote. He said, don't let success go to your head and don't let failure go to your heart. Isn't that incredible? Coming under the influence of success or under the influence of failure so that it shapes us and forms us and leads us in certain ways. 
Don't come under the influence of what people think of you. Don't come under an unhealthy influence of your families and what they want of you when that is an unhealthy and negative thing. This is such um, low-hanging fruit, but don't come under the influence of social media and influences and podcasts that are not leading us in the way of Jesus. I'm sure some of you can think of so many others. Don't come under the influence of these things. Come under the influence of the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Be shaped by the Spirit, not these other gods or idols or worldviews or substances. Don't come under their influence because they shape us and form us in ways that are different to what Jesus is wanting to do in us. So don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Instead, let the Spirit work in you and shape and empower and form and lead you to become the kind of person that God wants to make you and to do the kind of things he wants to do. So again, moment of reflection. If you were to be honest here, I'm not going to ask anyone to shout out, but if you were to be honest and say, what am I under the influence of today? What would it be? I've um, been breathalyzed twice in my life, uh, both just kind of random police checks on the road, you know, Friday or Saturday nights getting pulled over. And I think a breathalyzer is an amazing device. I remember both times being a little excited, like, like, how does this work? Blowing into this thing, waiting to see what it says. But imagine if we could do that in this room now, like at an existential level, like a, a Holy Spirit breathalyzer. And we could get these results, and there's like a pie chart with all of the things you are under the influence of, different colors, different percentages, and you could see, whoa, 62%, that is shaping me. 12, I didn't think that was 12%, that's a significant... And we saw all of these things that are shaping who we are and how we think and how we make decisions and why we do what we do. I think it would be pretty telling. I'd love you to think for a second, what am I under the influence of? What does that pie chart look like in my life? If I was to blow into that Holy Spirit breathalyzer, what would come out? What are you under the influence of? Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. We've covered the negative command, don't get drunk with wine, but the positive command is be filled with the Spirit. And obviously that's an invitation, but it is also a command. We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit, to obey that, to respond to that, to do that. So how do we do this? Um, a few years ago, I listened to a sermon by a pastor and teacher named Andrew Wilson, who really helped and shaped me on this. So if you listen to that, I'm sure some of what I share this morning is going to sound very similar, but through my lens. But one of the things he said that I thought was so profound is when we hear that command, be filled with the Spirit, there's something we probably can't articulate very easily, but there's a struggle inside of us with how do I obey that? And he says very intelligently, that's because we don't know how to obey a passive verb. And what I mean by that is, how do you be filled with the Spirit? Is that something you do or something God does? Now, two weeks ago was Mother's Day. So maybe another way of saying it would be, if I said to you from the stage, hey, happy Mother's Day, be phoned by your mother. You'd be like, huh? I kind of know what you mean by that. You know, you're saying, okay, if she phones me, I answer it. But is that something I do or something she does? I, I know how to phone her. I know how to answer the phone. I don't know how to be phoned by her. I'm going somewhere with this. Some of you are like, okay, we get, this is very technical about phoning. I don't see the need. 
But it's the same with this command, be filled with the Spirit. How do I obey that? Is that something I do? Is that something God does? Is this passive, I just receive it? Is this active, something that I need to do? And Andrew Wilson says, yes, yes. This is something you do. You receive it, but also you actively cultivate the kind of life that is being filled with the Spirit. And then there's something else which is problematic for us with this. It's the fact that be filled with the Spirit sounds very different to us in English than it would to those hearing this in Greek. We've got this problem because both in Greek and Hebrew, the languages that the Bible is written in, the words spirit, wind, and breath are all the same word, which to me, they're not even the same ideas, or some of them aren't even in the same category. But when they would read that or hear that, they're hearing this idea compounded together. Spirit, be filled with the spirit, be filled with the wind, be filled with the breath. In Genesis 2 verse 7, right at the beginning, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. God breathes his spirit into Adam, and Adam comes alive. Fast forward till after the crucifixion and resurrection, in John 20 verse 21 and 22, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, verse 1 to 2 and 4 to 5. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, and today is Pentecost Sunday. Today we're remembering when this moment happened. This is, this is by design. This is not by accident. We're talking about being filled by the Spirit on the day when the church celebrates this moment. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. Verse 4, then they, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And I just wanted to emphasize this. Now, there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. And what we see here right at the beginning of the church was that this and the Spirit is poured out on the church. And there are people representative of every nation in the world. And the church speaks in these different languages, declaring the glories of God, the gospel, the good news, so that people from every part of the world can hear. Symbolic of our mission, that we would take the gospel out by the power of the Spirit to see God's kingdom advance. That's what Pentecost Sunday is really about. And here we see these symbols of breath, wind, and Spirit throughout the Bible. In Genesis, God gives life to the first person by His Spirit. In John, God gives new life to the early disciples, and they are born again of the Spirit. And in Acts, God gives birth to His church by breathing the Spirit into men and women and empowering them to do what He has called them to do. They are all filled with the Spirit. And something I love about that is just the incredible design and symmetry of the Bible. Just seeing this biblical theology, these ideas, these strands flowing the whole way through showing God's purposes and plans. We probably think about the Spirit a little bit differently. When you hear, at least the, when I hear, be filled with the Spirit, I think more of like a liquid example. So I remember when I was young, my parents got a pool. It was such an exciting time. I remember people showing up to dig in our lawn, to dig out this hole for a pool to go. We went to the beach, and we came back from the beach hours later, and there was just this hole in the garden where there had been lawn before. It was amazing. And a few weeks later, when the pool was made, we put the hose pipe into the pool, and we filled it with water. And when it was full, 
We jumped in and enjoyed. The pool was full. We could swim. Best summer ever. Well, some of you guys, I forgot my water bottle today, but this morning you woke up and you took your water bottle out and you filled it with water and you drink it and then you refill it. You top it up throughout the day. You want to get the right amount of water into your system every single day. That's probably the way we think about the spirit, which can be problematic. If we think, well, once we, we're filled with the spirit and then that's it, it's done, that's problematic. And if we think of it in terms of a water bottle, we fill and then we empty out and then we fill again and then we empty out and then we get topped up. That's problematic as well. And what Paul's trying to show us in Ephesians 5 is something a bit different. So if we think of this breath picture, we see the way the Spirit works differently. Imagine you're an instrument. Um, I don't know if any people were wind instrument players growing up or maybe today. Any trumpet? Whoa, two, three, four. I'm amazed at this. Any flute players? Whoa, okay, shy, what a surprise. Okay, uh, anyone else? Anyone playing the horn, the recorder, the clarinet? Okay, a lot of wind instrument play. I'm pretty surprised. I thought we'd get one or two. Um, but you know that those instruments, whether they're made of wood or a type of metal or plastic or whatever it is, they only work when breath is being blown through them. As soon as that breath stops, the music stops. And there's this beautiful picture that each one of us are individual instruments of God. And as the Spirit blows through us, the, the God sounds play. And we, like an orchestra, make this beautiful God music which plays in the world. Or well, imagine the Spirit is a wind. I'm not a kite surfer. I've never tried. But I had a friend who was pretty good at kite surfing who went from Belito to Amschlange. That's like Solana Beach all the way to, where did I say, Point Loma. That's far. City to city, town to town. He got really blown very, very far. I think he was having the time of his life. I think that's why he didn't stop. He was just really, I don't know how he got home. I'm guessing he asked someone for a phone and got someone to come and pick him up. But he went city to city, kite surfing. He had a lot of fun. The wind is strong. Another friend showed me a YouTube clip where someone was learning to kite surf. And they got their kite in the air and the wind took them across the freeway and into a building on the other side. He could have died. Very, very, yeah, I, did, I would never have Googled something like that. This was my friend Googled it and showed it to me. But the wind is strong. The wind is powerful. I'm sure this is an 80s throwback, but if you've ever tried to windsurf at all, I would watch these like, you know, skateboarding videos, BMX, and then guys windsurfing, like ramping off waves and doing flips and spins. If you've ever tried to get on a windsurfer, it's hard, man, to hold up that sail, to just balance, to catch the wind. It requires practice and time to get the wind in the sail so that you can flow with it and move with it. But there is this picture of getting the sail up or getting the kite up to catch the wind and then letting the wind lead as it wants to lead. It's an incredible picture of dependence. The instruments don't play without the breath. The kite or the sail doesn't move without the wind. We need to be where the breath or the wind is. You see, being filled isn't a once-off thing. And it's not a top-up, refill kind of thing. Ephesians 5 verse 18, it's this present continuous form in the Greek, meaning it says, be filled continuously. Let the Spirit fill you and lead you and empower you and guide you all of the time. Always be filled with the Spirit. Which is obviously something very different to the fact that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. As we spoke about that at the beginning, 
we read and we saw Paul writes and says, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But here he's giving a separate command to these temples of the Holy Spirit saying, be filled with the Spirit. This is a, a separate thing. They're obviously related, but it's a separate thing to be filled and learn to be led by and empowered by the Spirit. Yes, we already have the Spirit inside of us, but we are learning to be led by and guided by the Spirit. When I was a kid, I don't know what it was like here, but growing up in South Africa, I had three or four TV channels. It was rough. We didn't have cable. And in the holidays, when I would sit on the couch and watch TV, some mornings would just be infomercials. Did anyone else do that? No one else into, oh, Parker, thank goodness you got my back. But the infomercials were rough. And I remember watching this very Mark infomercial of this really cool helicopter kite. And because I watched this 10 or 20 times, I got really into this green plastic helicopter with the black blades. And there were all these cool people on the beach out there and they were flying their helicopter kite and the blade was going. So very soon, I think that weekend, I asked my parents if we could go. We went to the Verimark store. I bought this kite. I took it home. I got it all set up. I went outside in the garden and I was pumped. I was going to do what I'd watched hours and hours of people doing during the week except there was no wind at our house. They were all on the beach, flying their helicopter kites, having the time of their life. My house, there was no wind, not even a breeze. So I put the helicopter kite down and expected it to happen, and it didn't. And then I spun the blades, nothing happened. I threw it up in the air, and it just fell down. There wasn't even like a wisp of air. There was no ways this was going to happen. And I ended up taking that kite back inside and putting it in my cupboard and never using it again. Like this, I know, devastating. It cost me like $5. It broke my heart. The, the strings got wrapped around the kite, and I never flew that beautiful, very mock kite. End of sermon. No. <laughs> the idea is that we need to be where the wind is. If we're in a place where the wind isn't, we're not going to fly. We need to be responsive to the Spirit, not doing this in our own way. To be filled with the Spirit means we need to get where He is to respond to Him. And that's less about place and more about heart. Is our heart open to and responsive to the Spirit and what He's wanting to do? So restored, my invitation today is to not get drunk with wine, but to be filled by the Spirit. For you and I to be temples of the Holy Spirit, that means we're a Christian. Then the Spirit is in you. But it is going to require some effort and energy and learning to learn to walk by the Spirit and be filled by the Spirit. And I'm hoping that as I spoke, maybe you had an idea of where you are at in all of this. But otherwise, I wanted to give you this diagnostic to try and get an idea of where you might be and to respond to what the Spirit might be saying. Firstly, independence versus dependence. We've spoken about that a lot in this series. And I want to ask today, are you surrendered to the Spirit? Do you trust the Spirit? Or today, where you are at, are you willing to give over some of your independence to Him? To depend a little bit more on God and what He might be saying to you? To open up a little bit to trust Him and let Him lead? To ask for help in the areas where you need it? Secondly, when I spoke about us being roommates with the Holy Spirit, did you relate? Were you thinking, yeah, that is me. I'm, I'm busy. I'm not making time for him. I, I see him doing stuff, but I don't spend time with him. Maybe today it's a moment to just take check and to say, okay, 
I'm going to make time for the Spirit each day throughout the day to be aware of Him and responsive to Him. Or thirdly, I thought for some of us in this room, maybe you realize I'm not even a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm not a Christian today. But if you want to be, if you want to respond to what I shared about what Jesus has done, the free gift, the, the grace of Him to forgive us, to adopt us into God's family, to make us new. You can pray that and ask for that now and you would be a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit would come and live inside of you and you could do these things we're speaking about today. Well, maybe you're not where the wind is and I just thought, this seemed to stand out to me as I was preparing. Maybe you realize that you're under the influence of something else. Something else is the wind in your sail. Something else is directing you. You're, you're following something else. But today you want to stop. And you want to respond to the Spirit. It's, it's a change of heart. It's like a moving of the sail of your heart to catch the wind of the Spirit as opposed to what you've been moved by before. Or as I said, maybe today you actually have been growing through the series and you feel like you're in a great place with God. And you're enjoying Him. And you've grown closer to Him. I just want to remind you of the invitation to fellowship with the Holy Spirit, to come closer, to enjoy it, to have fun. So I'd love you to respond in your own words where you're at, just to speak to the Spirit, to invite the Spirit to meet you in those ways, to respond to the Word, and to let Him meet you where you are. So just spend a minute 